Yesterday I ate two big Easter bunnies. Nice. So Paul brought me one at work because he knew I've been having a really shit week and so he just like put it on my desk. And so I was looking at it all day thinking like I just want to eat you but I'm, I'm going to wait and I waited until lunch and like the kids just kept coming into my office at lunch just like wanting stuff. So I ate it in literally 32 seconds like flat. <laughs> Just inhaled it. it and then I was pinging for the last lesson. Yeah. And on my way home I was crashing hard so I stopped at the shops and got another Bought one. another one, yeah. And just ate it on my way home. Amazing. So. I get real chocolate hangovers like that if I have too you? much chocolate. Yeah, See, I'm I don't just get like, like oh. a headache or anything but I just get sad. Like yeah. it's over. Josephine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast today. Oh, that's okay. Welcome. Mm. I'm glad you could be here on yes. my podcast. This podcast is called My Favourite Musical. That's Josephine. That's Ruth. It's a podcast about musicals. Mm. The end. Yeah. Do you want to apologise to the people, Ruth? No. Why? Well, sorry for my general disposition. <laughs> have a lovely disposition. Thank you. I also have no apologies. Josephine doesn't have a lovely disposition. No, I don't. I'm okay with that. The older I get, the more and more I'm reconciled I love with it. my personality. I love it about you. Mm, thank you. It's like the other half of my personality. <laughs> and that's why we are on a podcast together. Mm, exactly. What um, happens now in this podcast? Well, normally we would uh, do a little spotlight on a marginalised community or person within a person the of colour within yeah. the theatre world, <clears throat> um, really a lot of topics really. Any, yeah, anything that's not getting of... mainstream focus basically. Yeah, it's really like our social justice corner, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Do you want me to go first? I will go first. Excellent. So in honour of um, Women's History Month this month. Is that and this month? Yeah. Excellent. And obviously International Women's Day was um, was a little while ago. Playbill has a gallery of 60 incredibly inspirational women in theatre. Yes. Um, it features all of our favourites. They're just like, so I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, you know, I'll have a look through this because I love women. And every single fucking woman that popped up on this gallery, I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. It, it was Fuck just, yeah. yeah, the whole time. And it really revved me up in a way that there were, it was just pictures of women. <laughs> That's all it was. I love it. But I was just like, you are a badass. You are getting it done. Yep. You are just not apologising. Yeah, yep. fucking it was so good. So it made me feel really happy to scroll through it and so I think you should get it into you. I've linked in the show notes. But Excellent. Yeah, women. I mean, it's not like we need a month to talk about women, but let's talk about them now. Yeah, women the more are the best. I hear about, especially some of those pioneering like female producers and playwrights and oh, directors yeah, from like the early 20th century uh -huh. when it just wasn't acceptable for women to be in those positions. Yeah, well, spoiler, next, my next spotlight is also about one of those women. Excellent. Because I'm just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. I will be exhausting all women in, in this spotlight section. I love section. it. Yeah. I love it. Yay, women. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Danielle Brooks, the nice. actress. And I wanted to do this only because it's been uh, announced recently that she is going to be joining Samuel L. Jackson in a revival of August Wilson's The Piano Lesson on Lovely. Broadway um, in 2022. Uh, so, yeah, they'll be leading that cast. And I thought, oh, we haven't talked about Danielle Brooks. And she's amazing. Yeah. So that cast will also feature John David Washington, who is um, Denzel Washington's 
son, who's quite an established actor yes. in his own right. So Danielle Brooks is a black actress and singer. I guess like most people would know her for her role in Orange is the New Black. She played mm. Tasty. Mm. She was like one of the main characters on that show and she was excellent on I it. really have to watch it. Oh, it's great. I'm, I, I have to be honest, I didn't finish it. Yeah. But the first few seasons are excellent. Yeah. It just got a bit ridiculous for yeah, me okay. after a while. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's great. I mean, and like talk about all women just kicking right. ass. Like yeah. it's so good. Um, she is also one of the co-founders of the Instagram account Black Women on Broadway, which I've previously spotlighted. Um, That's and, such a good account. It's so good. And it's just like uh, performers or just like activists. Like they just sort of highlight people yeah. and it's really great. Um, she also played Sophia in the 2015 revival of The Colour Purple, uh, which we covered on this podcast. And she was amazing and she was nominated for a Tony for her performance. And, yeah, she's just a really talented performer. Yeah, she is. Um, she's not actually that old. Like she was – she got – um, Orange is the New Black, like pretty much out of grad school. She's she's my age. She's actually is younger she? than me. Yeah. So she'll have a 32nd birthday in September. Amazing. That, that's young. <laughs> that's so young. Yeah. She went to Juilliard too. Like, oh, she's such a boss. What a talent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. So anyway, that's Danielle Brooks. Yeah. That was nice. I do love her. Yeah. Um, do we have a theatre explained? We do. I put this one in. Yeah, I saw. Were well, you like, I didn't write this. No. When I saw it, I was like, what? Yeah. In fact, because I've written it on my notes and I've written like, maybe Ruth will be able to tell you more about this. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't even know how it came up that I was thinking about this, but I decided that we would talk about the difference between non-profit like the, the non-profit theatre model versus mm. commercial theatre model. Yeah, so we're not talking about like community theatre, no. right? We're talking specifically, specifically about, about professional, professional theatre. Theater. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm mostly going to talk about Broadway, mm. but it is also applicable both in all professional theatre in America and also to a certain extent in Australia. Yeah, um, We don't really have non-profit theatres here that, um, do a lot of musicals. Mm. They might do a musical every now and then, but it's not necessarily like their main, you know, um, part of their main programming. Whereas like a lot of these companies in America, it's like over half of their programming is musical theatre kind of thing and they're still considered non-profits. Yeah. Do you know, I think this might be relevant to my musical today. Oh, excellent. Mm, yeah. I have a suspicion. So some examples that we have probably mentioned on the podcast before of uh, famous non-profit theatres in New York City are Roundabout Theatre Company, yeah. Second Stage Theatre, which is an off-Broadway theatre, also Lincoln Centre Theatre and The Public Theatre. And yes. most of those have subscription seasons as yeah. well. Like that's quite a common yeah. part of the model. I think if you've listened to the podcast too, you will have heard those names many, many times as producers of the musicals we've talked about. So exactly. they're, not, they're not producing like, um, you know, fringe works. They're producing mainstream musicals. Yeah. Yeah. So the difference between them and what when we say a commercial musical yeah. is that they work under and the term, the form, I think, or like the term in America is 501c3, right? right. That's like the form I think they have to fill, fill in kind of thing. Yeah, right. And it means that um, – they are expected to make less in ticket sales and therefore they are allowed to make up the difference in grants and donations tax-free. Hmm. So they basically, like you know how churches are tax-free? Yes. Uh, controversially. <laughs> Very. Um, yeah. Um, it's kind of the similar thing. They don't have to pay taxes because it's not, it's, they're not working for profit. But why would they make less in ticket sales? Well, I think the idea being that they would be more willing to do riskier um. and uh, in other words, they're not dependent on ticket sales for their turnover each year to keep 
keep running. So if like if they had a wildly successful season, it's not going to um, fuck with their status, right? Like they're still non profit. That's correct. So there's a there's a quote um, that uh, that they have, and I'm just trying to find it, mm. which is basically that they actually can. They're allowed to make money, but it's what it does with the money. Yeah, that's so the important. money has to go back into the. So the line is: none of the proceeds can inure to the benefit of a private individual. Yeah. It has to go back to the nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, so no one person is allowed to benefit from it. Basically, yeah. whereas like a commercial producer, right? Yes, would like is, take is a, a cut. Per, an individual person, yes, pr- um, getting the profits from that show. Yes. So like. Um, Big commercial theatres would have like, um, yeah, CEOs and people who would who would turn quite big profits, but uh, non-profit organisations would have employees mm. who would get paid a wage, um, but all of the, the major profits just go back into the theatre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's similar a little bit to like amateur theatre companies, except that people are getting paid. Yes. That's the difference, yes, right? Yes, exactly. And so... You know, like in community theatre here in Australia, you would normally be registered as a as a non profit yeah. organisation, and that would that would enable you to get like community rates yeah. in different like from councils and things like that, and that yeah. is the model. Um, and again, yes, all the money goes back into the back society, into the society and to not to, keep it to going. a person. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it also means in this case, if you're a non profit, that people can give like tax deductible donations to the company. Yeah. And in America, in particular, where there isn't a lot of government support for mm. the arts, as we know, mm. um, donors make up a large percentage of their turnover, like individual donors. And they can um, fundraise then too, can't they? Exactly. Like, All yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So I have read, I did read quite a few articles this week that suggest <clears> that in New York in particular, the line is getting more and more blur- blurred between the yeah, two. Yeah, I think I read the same article. Yeah. So basically it was saying that like, for example, both Roundabout, Roundabout Theatre, theatre company I think owns like three Broadway theatres and Second yeah. Stage has one as well as like their off-Broadway spaces. Yeah. And, so, and they're often producing more commercial fare mm. that would normally be kind of considered the opposite of the reason that those theatres were created to begin yeah, with. Right. So, you know, when you think about how um, the public theatre, when they created a chorus line, mm. how groundbreaking that was and, yeah. and so different, right? And that was the idea, right? Like the, yeah. those are the places that you want to be creating those really interesting risky works. Mm. And so it's like when... But, I mean, something has to pay for those risky works, right? So it's okay well, surely for these organisations to do something that seems more commercial to yeah, pay for those I risky think, ventures? I think it's an interesting line between... Mm doing that every now and then and suddenly feeling like that's all they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I suppose. And and I suppose the, the only issue that I would ever have is if someone is getting paid on the side that they shouldn't be getting paid. Yeah, do which never I mean? happens. Like, I think like that's I think, the only issue I don't I would think have. that can happen. No, well, that would be illegal, right? Yeah. yeah. And my only other note is that for Broadway shows and when we talk about a lot of the out-of-town venues, a lot of those really big ones now are places like the American Repertory Theatre or mm. ART in Massachusetts or La Jolla in California. Yeah. Those are also non-profit like yeah. regional theatres, so that's quite common as well. Yeah. Um, and then and obviously, like, if the show goes to Broadway, those theatres also get a cut from the Broadway, pro- like, turnover kind hmm, of thing and, cool. and a producing credit and that sort of thing. So Yeah, it's really fascinating because it's something that is just not really that relevant here in Australia. No, no. Like, at all. No, exactly. Um, yeah. But and maybe it should be. I mean, I would love to see places like Sydney Theatre Company, Melbourne Theatre Company, the state play companies mm. do more musicals, Belvoir Street. Like, yeah. you know, I think that... 
I really think that there's lots of musicals that won't get done unless they get done in a place like that. That's right. Professionally. What, what sort of commercial company is going to take a risk on That's right. On like risky musicals. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, we're seeing Fun Home at Sydney Theatre Company soon. Mm. Um crazy with, to think that that might be like a fringe musical. But yes, but you in know, Australia I think it is considered not commercial. Yeah. So Yeah, it's interesting. I mm. mean, here in Australia for those international listeners, really our professional musicals that we get are like Priscilla, Jersey Dis- Boys. Dis- lots of Disney. Mamma Mia. It's all the big shows. It's the big, like, blockbustery, yeah. And part of the issue is that our theatres are too big. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, in, in Sydney we have two main commercial theatres. They're both 2,000 seats. Yeah. That is too big for um, for a lot of shows, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it would and it feels like a barn, yeah. you know, um, for a lot of shows. I thought so. Capital was even too big for Les Mis, actually. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. That was a good theatre explained. Thanks for that. No worries. Nice. Uh, Do you have any recommendations for us today? I do. Mine come from the same topic. Okay. I'm just linking to two different YouTube videos. Ready. It's a web series called Turning the Tables. Have you ever watched this? No. Oh, it's great. So it's basically like a a fake like mock audition panel of these four Broadway performers who are all kind of comedians as well. So it's like an improv web series where they get people to come in and audition for roles they've already got kind of thing. So the two I'm linking to are like Billy Porter auditioning for Lola in Kinky Boots. Love. And Renee Renee Elise Goldsbury auditioning for Angelica in Hamilton. Double love. And it's basically them just being assholes to these people, getting them to like do it in different ways and and this sort of thing. So it's just kind of making fun of like castings and and all that sort of thing. But it's mostly improvised. In fact, I think it's pretty much all improvised. And it's it's they're really funny. Oh cool. Yeah. So I'm just linking to those two. Simple this week, but they're both really funny. Love it. Yeah. Oh nice. I have two this week in a rare move. Um so this is possibly the nerdiest recommendation I have ever given. I love it. Um so you can well as we as we all know, because we listen to Ruth talk about them all the time, Jennifer Ashley Tepper's um, fourth volume of The Untold Stories of Broadway was released like this week. Yes. Um, and what you can watch, you can watch a range of Broadway giants <gasps> yes. read stories from the book that relate to them on these like videos on Playbill, yeah. on the Playbill website. So like there are quite a few I've linked to, I think just one of them, I think it might be like the Peter Gallagher one or it could be the George C. Wolfe one. But yeah. like there are these proper like awesome people just reading from the book like of their stories. Yeah. Which are just. So like, the books, I mean, you've probably heard us mention it before, but it's literally like kind of an oral history yeah. of a bunch of different Broadway theatres. Yeah. And each volume is like five theatres or so. The exciting thing about Volume 4 mm. is it includes the five theatres that were demolished in the 80s. Oh, they call cool. them the Fallen Five. Nice. Um, when they were they, – the, what was the Marriott Marquis yes. ended up being built there. But five theatres were knocked down to build this hotel and that's why the, the, the Marriott Marquis has a theatre inside it. I Jesus. Think, I can't remember what episode we talked about it on but yeah, we've definitely some, discussed it. Yeah. Yeah. That will be fascinating. Mm. And you've already bought the book, right? I have already bought the book. Yeah, of course. Um, So my other recommendation, um, it was the 30th anniversary of Assassins last (gasps) week. Yes, I almost texted you about this. (laughs) Oh, my God. So in this spectacular, more than two-hour-long live stream, the creators and some of the original off-Broadway cast met to discuss the show. Amazing. So I sat in my lounge room and I – like it, it was just like I was on a Zoom call with Stephen Sondheim and he was just talking about how he gave birth to this show. Like, Oh, my God. And it just made me so happy. And didn't he mention that he's been vaccinated on yes, it? Yes, he just had – well, I think um, – 
Oh God, I'm gonna. What's um? Who's the writer? It's Weidman. Um, Weidman. Yeah. Weidman had just had like the AstraZeneca or yeah. whatever, and Sondheim had just had like the Pfizer vaccination, and so he was like, "I'm very tired." But also, like, he's quite an old man now. He's 90, right? Yeah. Um, he's almost 91. He'd be 91 soon. But yeah. he's still got this incredibly young voice. Mm. Like, he's really quite a vibrant man. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, it just made me so happy. So it, it's a delightful live stream. It is very long. And they they have most of the off-Broadway cast, like, tune in and out of it. Yeah. So, like, you see all the original people and it's just lovely. Excellent. So I will link to that. I literally saw a headline that was like, Stephen Sondheim's been vaccinated against COVID. Yes. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was like he was in Connecticut doing this live stream and, and like he was like, Yeah, my arm's a bit sore and I'm a bit tired and Yeah. But also like in ninety one, so Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Shall we talk about some musicals? Tell me something All that right. I didn't know. Speaking of Sondheim. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Do I I don't know which one you're Don't you? Oh Can no, you I do. I do, okay. I do. Is it forum? It is a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Nice. Forum? Forum. I didn't say it right. Forum. <laughs> forum. This could be our – I mean, I know I say this – this could be our last Sondheim for a while. I think so. I think, like, at some point you'll get desperate and do Pacific Overtures. I think so, yeah. But that could be about it. Yeah, so sorry. Let's, this could be it. Let's milk it. I know. It. it makes me sad. <laughs> it makes me sad that I won't refer to finishing the hat again in my research. Aww, you know, the beautiful the books. books. Yeah. Anyway. Aww. So um, this show marks the one and only time that I have ever musical directed a show. Oh, my gosh. I'd forgotten <laughs> this i did this show at uni back in 2006 i saw this production 15 years ago (laughs) back when i used to play piano still you You were such a beautiful pianist i don't play anymore i'm sorry everyone um and look i was i think i was a pretty terrible musical director but i loved the show doing the show i don't remember that being a thing i think you're a wonderful Uh, musical director we'll see it was also the perfect show for us to do at Macquarie Uni as there's a really strong ancient history yeah. department and tradition already at that uni. Um, so it got like it got a really good reception there and everything. But honestly, like the show has just always stuck in my mind since as having one of the strongest books of any musical I've ever been involved in. Yeah. Um, it is so ridiculously funny so as funny. a show. Yeah, like too funny. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Like it's such a good book. And I would I'd actually love to do the show mm. again one day. Yeah. Like especially knowing now what I know about mm. musicals and stuff. So Music and Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Book- Stephen Joseph. Stephen Joseph. Joshua. Joshua Sondheim. Book by Bert Shevlov and Larry Gelbart and inspired by the farces of ancient Roman playwright Plautus. 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 So this comes right at the beginning of Sondheim's professional career. Yeah. At this stage, he's done the lyrics for West Side and Gypsy, but this is his first Broadway show he wrote both the music and the lyrics for. He must have been like, what, early 30s? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, Like young. Yeah. Because he was, yeah, he was in his 20s. He was in his 20s for West Side and Gypsy. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, so Bert Shevlov was the uh, a Broadway librettist and director. I don't know that name. Yeah, well, so honestly, like, Forum is his most famous show. Yeah. But he did also do the book for a very popular revival and reworking of No, No, Nanette. Oh, no, um, no. So, like, not the original, Nanette. but, like, it was, like, they, like, yeah. fully reworked it for this revival yes. and he did that. And he also did the original book of The Frogs with Sondheim. Oh. So you remember Nathan Lane reworked it at some point in yeah. the 90s, but he did the original of it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And then Larry Gelbart 
is probably, I mean, like incredibly famous. I didn't quite realise this, but not as a musical theatre person, but probably most well known as one of the creators of the TV show MASH. Yeah, shit. And he wrote the pilot. And, yeah. Yeah. Like it's one of those names that you've seen in writing because yes. you've seen the credits of MASH. Um, he also wrote the screenplay to Tootsie. Nice. Um, the film, the original film of Tootsie, and he was the book writer um, in terms of his musical theatre work. He was the book writer for City of Angels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, a very quite distinguished career, really. I do love City of Angels. Yeah, I'm actually surprised you haven't covered that yet, to be honest. That will be soon, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. got a great score. Such a and good And it's, score. like, the music is, like, super up your alley as well. It is, yeah. yeah. It really is. Yeah. So, synopsis. So, we are set in Rome around 200 BC. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not BC anymore. What is it? It's, oh, um, yes, there's a different BCA, term, BCA, is it? Before uh, BCE. Before Common Era? That's it, yes. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. it used to be like, what, before Christ? Yeah. I know. <laughs> but I guess because they still use it as a real historical yeah. marking point, but we just right? don't. we just don't, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> BCE, as BCE. you say. Um, so we follow what happens in three neighbouring houses uh, on this random street in ancient <laughs> Rome. Um, and the efforts of Pseudolus, who's our main character, who is a slave and desperately wants his freedom. Yeah. Pseudolus lives in the house of Senex. With, with Senex and his wife Domina and their son Hero. There are several slaves in the house, with Hysterium being the head slave, and, uh, and the other two houses are Marcus Lycus, our buyer and seller of beautiful women, <laughs> and Aronius, who's an old man abroad searching for his long-lost children who were stolen in infancy by pirates. Jesus. So, um, Pseudolus is specifically Hero's slave. Like yes. He's for it's like Hero, his man the son. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, Hero is in love with Philia. She's a virgin courtesan from the house of Marcus Lycus. That is a complex job. <laughs> yes. How and do you remain a virgin courtesan? I know. There's a line in the show where Pseudolus goes, wait here, that's what you virgins are good at, right? Or something <laughs> like that and leaves. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, and he makes a deal, Hero makes a deal with Pseudolus that if he can win Philia's love for Hero, he'll give Pseudolus his freedom, right? Wow, yeah. At this point, like a Let's whole... Let's butter over a woman. Yeah, <laughs> yes, of course. I love it. At this point, like a whole bunch of antics ensue. Like this is it's a, a classic farce. farce. Yeah. yeah. So including a lot of characters, like a lot of mistaken identity, characters pretending to be other characters... Characters pretending to have the play, characters yeah. pretending to be dead. Um, but, of course, it all has a happy ending in the end, including Erroneous's children perhaps being nearby all along, right? And literally the last 20 minutes of the show doesn't have any music. Yeah. It is a chase scene around, like, literally people running around the stage yeah. that goes for 20 minutes. It's, it's so incredible. Good. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So the show opened on Broadway on May 8th, 1962 at the Alvin Theatre and then transferred to the Mark Hellinger Theatre and the Majestic hmm. where the show closed on August 29th, 1964 after 972 performances. Nice. It was nominated for eight Tonys at the 1963 Awards, winning six, which were Best Musical, Best Producer of a Musical when that existed. So Hal Prince was the producer. Of course. Of course. Uh, best Author for the book writers, but that's mm. what they called it back then. Uh, best Leading Actor for Zero Mostel yes. as Pseudolus. Best Featured Actor for David Burns as Senex. And Best Direction for George Abbott. Nice. For Best Musical, it beat Little Me, Stop the World I Want to Get Off, and Oliver. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty big to beat Oliver. I wonder if it, like if when My Fair Lady closed at the... Because my fair lady was at the Mark Hellinger, mm. and this must have come in straight after it. That's true. Anyway, yeah. it, it didn't. I couldn't see the actual dates that, that it, it was moved at. Over. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. it was at H Theatre. Yeah. 
So there was then a Broadway revival in 1972 at the Lunt Fontaine, which ran only 156 performances, hmm. closing early as Phil Silvers, who played Sudala, suffered a stroke. What year did you say that was? 72. 72. Yeah. Okay. And that production was actually directed by Bert Shevlov, who co-wrote the book. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And Phil Silvers was actually their original. It was Sudalus was written for Phil Silvers. Wow. But he didn't see it as a good career choice for him. And he was also too scared to do the show without his glasses on. Like he had really bad oh, eyesight. And, and he you was can't like, wear glasses yeah. in. Yeah. And so um, that was one of the reasons he turned it down. Because he was also the original Sergeant Bilko. Yeah. And he saw it as like Sergeant Bilko in a toga. That's what he referred yeah. to it as. So, so did he wear his glasses in the revival? He did. That was And then he had a stroke. Yeah. I don't I don't think it was like on stage or anything, but yeah, that oh, was the my. reason that it closed. Jeez, that's sad. Yeah. Um and the other person who passed on the role originally was Milton Berle. Oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah. I think so I knew that. Zero Mostel, like, wasn't their first choice kind of thing, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, it was revived again on Broadway in 1996 to great success with Nathan Lane as Pseudalus, yeah. running 715 performances. Oh, shit. Yeah, like a big successful revival. Yeah, yeah, nice. It was nominated for Best Revival of a Musical but lost to The King and I. Um, in only That was only the third year of Best Revival being honoured. 96 so like it only started in 94 how good could the king and i have been the only reason i want to mention that is because that production of the king and i originated in australia um and was like a it was kind of the first time it was a real reworking right it hadn't ever been done with like this is gonna sound terrible but like actual asian actors in all of the asian roles right Jesus Christ. Uh, in all of the Thai roles we're talking about in 1996 yeah (laughs) like it hadn't been done that way before then Wow, groundbreaking. Like, it's Asian insane. But that was considered, yeah, a real kind of. Far yeah. out. Uh, Donna Murphy was Anna, I oh, think, yeah. in that production. Yeah. And oh, I love Jose her. Lana was, um, was the king. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, yes, ridiculous. But anyway, I, I just, because that production actually started in Australia, which I think is quite amazing. Um, it's You're been, amazing. Thank you. It's been presented in London three times, originally at the Strand Theatre in 1963 and then revivals in 1986 at the Piccadilly Theatre and 2004 at the National Theatre. Nice. In the 2004 revival, Miles, Miles Gloriosus was played by Philip Quast. <sighs> Quasticon. And Isla Blair played Domina, having played Philia in the 1963 production. That's nice. Yeah, which is fun. I like that. Um, I like Philip Quast more. The show has been done in Australia several times, including starring John English as Pseudolus in 1998 in quite a successful tour. He would be such a good Pseudolus. Yeah, so I think we've mentioned on the show before, but... Um, like my husband, we have a personal with, connection. Yeah, toured with John for years, and um, and I was production manager of that show when it first started. Um, and it's actually one of the great regrets I have that I didn't ask him more about his musical his theater. musical theater career. I know and well, stories. Like when, you, when you consider Jesus Christ and yeah. funny thing, and then him writing Paris. He certainly talked about Superstar a fair bit. Well, that, um, that's because it was for his, him. it was the beginning of his career. But certainly there was a few of these roles that he had that I just never realized he'd done. Yeah, even like a lot of his SG productions, like when he was the um pirate king and stuff like yes. that like i just i just wish i'd been like tell me everything yeah. you know like it is he would yeah. have some mad stories yeah he passed hey? away about five years ago yeah, very sadly peace, yeah but yeah. yeah so i he would have been an awesome pseudolus though like yeah, he, he would have been so good um it was also done in australia in 2012 with jeffrey rush's pseudolus yeah um i also saw that production it was a pretty good production mm. i found it like a little bit 
maybe sanitized. I was about to say that word. Yeah. 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 It just was, uh, yeah, like I just felt like it could have been a bit like bawdier and like looser, if well, that makes it's sense. It's supposed to be bawdy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a farce. Yeah, it is. exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Um, there was also a film adaptation done in 1966 also with Zero Mostel in the lead role, which I saw but like, again, when I did the show, so 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, it featured Buster Keaton as erroneous in his last on-screen role. He died soon afterwards. Oh, wow. Yeah. He still did um, several of the stunts himself. Buster Keaton was quite young, I think, when he died. I think he was in his 70s. Is that true? Yeah. Because um, one of my favourite films of all time, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, yeah. he's in that. Okay. And he's still – is he young in that? Well, yeah, I thought yeah. so. Um, Phil Silvers actually played Marcus Lycus in the film before obviously going on to play Pseudolus in the 72 revival. And Michael Crawford played Hero. Ha! Yeah. Nice. Uh, it won an Oscar in the category Best Music, Scoring of Music, Adaptation or Treatment. Oh. Yeah. What a great category. I know. <laughs> so some some random facts and discussion points. So Pseudolus is one of those roles that's a little bit like Mama Rose in that it's like real awards bait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So every actor who has opened in the role of Pseudolus on Broadway – Zero Mistel, Phil Silvers and Nathan Lane have all won a Best Leading Actor Tony Award oh, shit. for their performances. In addition, Jason Alexander, who performed as Pseudolus in one scene in Jerome Robbins' Broadway, also won a Tony for Best Actor in a Musical. Oh, okay. So it's like you can't be Pseudolus and not, and win, not win and not win Best Actor in a Musical. That's fascinating. Isn't that amazing? I mean, all of those men, very talented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you've got to be to play Pseudolus. Yeah. yeah. Um, in its Broadway run, it is considered to be Sondheim's most commercially successful show in which he's been both composer and lyricist. Oh, I don't think. That's what he says <laughs> in we, his book. I now think that, I, that I've that i quoted him saying the same thing for something else. Really? Yes. God, what was it? Was it so, little, I mean, obviously was West a little Side night in, music? Yes, but he says in its Broadway run. Oh, right. So I wonder if it's like some shows have gone on to be more successful. Yes, that would probably in be later right. productions or something like that. Yes, if you know what I mean. But like that I think original Broadway music run has been his most commercially successful over the course of. Well, couple, I wonder. It's like, for example, with a little night music. You, if you just look at royalties from Sending the Clowns, do you know yes. what I mean? Like, I bet that there'd be a certain element of that in yes, it. Yes, for sure. For but sure. as like a show with that, because it ran for almost three years, which none of I don't think no, any none of, of the those others, others no, did. God, yeah, no. so nice. Yeah. Um, maybe Merrill no, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Poor Merrill. <laughs> I didn't mean to joke about that. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts in my heart. Um, so after Sondheim showed the script and the score to his friend's friend James Goldman, who we've talked about a few yes, times before, writer, he said that they were both brilliant. Mm-hmm. The only problem was they don't go together. Oh. Yeah. And um Sondheim still thinks this. He he talks about he thinks his issue was that he was sort of taking the whole story within a song structure that Rodgers and Hammerstein really revolutionised just way too seriously considering it was a farce. So he was sort of looking for depth mm. in characters that were purposefully one-dimensional, yes. if that makes sense. So um, instead he talked about like savour the moment songs. So it should instead just be about like a character is feeling this and they're going to sing about being Yeah, about that their feeling rather yeah. than any real depth of character. Exactly. Or yeah. instead of like a character having like a, th- a three-act structure during a song, yes. it should just be, uh, yeah, which is which See, is when really you think of it that way, Sondheim is not suited to write a show this silly. Yes. Although yeah. it works. Like I think it works. Yeah. It's, it's, I also think like he definitely listens to criticism too intently. Like <laughs> you can could he be just right. be a bit of a narcissist? I know, I know. Uh, um, in Finishing the Hat, he also talks about the fact that this show 
to him basically birthed the musical workshop, Mm. which I thought was really interesting. So essentially they originally approached Jerome Robbins to direct and he just kind of like wouldn't commit, wasn't sure if he wanted to do it. So instead he said, okay, let's get a bunch of actors into a room and like go through the material, which was unheard of at that time. And so apparently prior to this you would only ever really change things once you're out of town with a show. You like wrote a musical, got a producer, the producer booked a couple of out-of-town theatres and and that was where you worked on the show. Yeah, with an audience. That's right, with an audience in front of you. And by that stage it's cast, whatever, the Broadway run's already been booked but that's where you did all your changes, right? It's interesting to me because Jerome Robbins is not a person I imagine was very interested in other people's opinions. So for him to even come up with an idea that people get in a room and just have a play is quite foreign, I think. Yeah, and so – and Sondheim loved this process so much so that he him. did it again for Company Follies and A Little Night yeah. Music, right? Yeah. Interestingly, after all that, Jerry Robbins decided not to direct the show anyway. It's probably lucky because didn't they really – Zero Mostel and Jerome Robbins had well, there's a lot all the of stuff with the with House the of Un-American House of, that's right. activities. There was all that drama during Fiddler. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was interesting. Uh, and I'll talk – Jerry Robbins, that's not the end of his involvement in the show, mm. but um, but – Interestingly, Sondheim also kind of had a bit of an excellent rant in the book about how workshops have become not that anymore. So it it used to be all about creating, right? It was like what's working, what's not working. It was just the people in a room who wrote the show and some actors and like let's really figure this out. And he's like now when people do workshops, it's basically a backers audition. It's like for producers and for people to invest money in a show and it's semi-staged and all this sort of thing. And he's like it's not about creating anymore. fake. Yeah, or like it's not serving the original purpose that it was set out to serve kind of thing, which I thought was pretty true yeah that sounds totally true um so we have discussed the opening number comedy tonight a few times on this podcast but it has a fantastic backstory right yes so originally for their new haven out of town run sondheim had written a song called invocation and instructions to the audience which was great but the director george abbott felt it wasn't hummable right it's not no, that song later went into his reworking of The Frogs yeah. and, it, and it works well in that show, It I does, think. yeah. Um, he then wrote a song called Love is in the Air instead. That is actually in the film of The Birdcage. Yes. Performed by Robin Williams and Christine Baranski um, just in like a little scene. It's quite cute, um, which was very hummable, but at this stage the audience was just hating the show. Yeah. So like the show would start and they just didn't, they weren't responding, they didn't know what to laugh at and they like – it they was selling really badly. They didn't get yeah. the show. So they called Jerome Robbins in to see what he thought and he said the opening number has to change as the audience think they're seeing a light show but not a low show. Yes. And so it instead the opening number needs to let them know exactly what they're going to see, right? It's just a piece of fluff. Yes. Mm. And, um, and that it's going to be bawdy yeah. and this sort of thing, which it wasn't communicating to them. And Sondheim basically um, said, well, that's what I he'd already written the first time. He's like, I already wrote that instructional sort of song the first time. And um, Jerry basically said with exasperation, stop complaining and get busy writing another song which accomplishes the same thing but George can hum. <laughs> 
So nice. uh, he, he wrote comedy tonight at that point, obviously. And that and, is hummable. Yeah. And so Jerry staged that number for them. Yeah. And he also staged the chase, the final 20 minutes of the show. Um, and Sondheim reckons that those two changes, like those, the, that's that what new made the song show. and like really getting that chase right. He's like, that's what turned it into a massive hit. Totally. Yeah. He's like, without those two things, it just, it just wouldn't have been the hit that it was. Like it was selling terribly out of town yeah, because wow. everyone thought it was a dog. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, literally that went in the show was, it got standing ovations every night after Well, I that. mean, we've talked about the fact that Jerome Robbins is probably a genius, just a dickhead. <laughs> just an awful person. Yeah. yeah. So, um, sort of to finish up, I would say that this is probably the only Sondheim show where I feel that the music does kind of take a backseat to the rest of the show. Mm. The score doesn't really have any standouts to me that bear repeated listening. However, they do all kind of work well in the context of the show. Yeah, you're not going to sit down and listen to this No, which is recording. like the fact that we're saying that about a Sondheim show yes, yes. is kind of insane. But also that doesn't mean that it's not good. No, like, that's the right. The show is incredibly entertaining and wonderful to watch. That's right. you got to – you have to be immersed in the show. And, in fact, the score was not well received when the show opened on Broadway. Like, after all of that, it was a big hit. But he wasn't nominated for Best Original Score, which mm. was quite a big deal. Mm. And apparently it did lead to some souring in his relationship with the rest of the creative team that he's like, after the show was a hit, it, he's like, as often happens, that does mend, you mm. know, mend bridges. But, like, at the time it was it was quite hurtful. Like, he didn't get to go to the Tonys, for example. Oh. Like, yeah, stuff like that. It was his first show on Broadway. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, so. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I will say that, like, the show is so good but kind of not because of the score, which is normally we would say about a sometimes show, like, it's yeah. amazing because of the score. Yeah. But the score very much complements the show, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It's just that, as I say, like the songs are not songs that you're going to sit down and listen to separate. No. So there is only the original Broadway cast on Spotify. I think that's crazy. And that, Nathan, I looked, I was like, I'll link to the YouTube. If it's on, yeah, it's not even. It's not. On YouTube, there's a version where someone has like recorded the whole CD onto one YouTube clip, but they've also only done it through one speaker. Uh. So it's all coming through your left speaker. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like in stereo like it's real so i haven't even linked to it because so it's, it's not terrible. worth listening to yeah. and it's one long track for the whole recording but which they is did a shame. record they recorded a cast album didn't they yes like you can buy the 1996 nathan lane yeah. um broadway revival it's album just nowhere on the internet it's a real to. shame i didn't mm. check apple music but like maybe it's on there it could be on there it's it's so good though that is the one i would recommend you listen to because nathan lane is so good in oh, that role he's perfect for that role i wonder how we heard it we must have had a cd yeah we must have had that yeah we must have. yeah mm, interesting yeah um so some gateway songs so obviously comedy tonight which definitely. is the opening number definitely and then i've gone for everybody ought to have a maid which oh, is yeah i like that the one. three men and it's kind of this little ditty yeah. and it's i mean it's like don't get me wrong this show is full it's of very sexist ridiculous sexist things but because it's set in ancient Rome, you can fully make fun of it. Yeah, and also like no one is no one is like a good character. That's everyone right. is everyone is just an idiot. Yeah. So it's sort of okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as we say, it's a farce. It's, so it's yeah. it's not like they're assholes with dimensions. You no, know what I mean? That's like right. it's just silly yeah. archetypes yeah. kind of thing um existing. So I still think you can really have and you could do a lot of like tongue-in-cheek stuff to the audience now as yes. well, I reckon. And then the last song is called um, Free, which is Hero and Pseudolus when they're discussing whether or not 
uh, like he to, for him free, to give his yeah. freedom as a slave. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah, so those are my gateway songs and that is Forum. Nice. That is a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. What do you think of the show? I love the show. Yeah. The first time I saw it was the your production. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. I yeah. just remember having a great time. Yeah. And I just have not said that about many Sondheim shows. Yeah. You know, it's like so it's so much. Honestly, guys, this show is so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, just really entertaining. And I love a farce. Like, I really do. I know you're not as into that. Oh, no. No, I love, I like farce. Mm. Yeah. Don't I, you like fast? <laughs> no, I do. I really like fast, especially when it's done well. Yes. When it's done badly, not so much. Well, no. Yeah. When anything's done badly. This is true, but mm. I do think that when something is such broad comedy yeah. and it's not done well, it's somehow even less funny than normal. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of bad. Oh. I want to talk to you about a musical. Okay. I want to talk to you about Venice. Yes, I know nothing. Oh, well, let me tell you. Okay. So. What do you mean, speaking of bad? Okay, so here begins a story about possibly, like, objectively the worst musical we've covered on the podcast oh, yet. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, this is a big moment for us. And but I'm you even like including it? Rent. I like it and I know that it's bad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, okay. I was innocently listening to a Spotify playlist like a few years ago and once the playlist had played out, I've got it set so that Spotify will then like play more songs in the same vein. Yeah, I like the way Spotify does that. I love that feature. And so this song came on and I was like, what now? Like, oh, I very much enjoy this. It was so beautiful. It had the beautiful voice of Jennifer Damiano. Love. And so I just fell in love instantly. I was like, what is this? Like I need to know more. Beautiful melodies. It was so gorgeous. Then I did a bit more digging and found a cast recording linked to this song. Mm. And I genuinely enjoyed this cast recording. Like just really I couldn't believe that this show was largely unknown until I read a bit more and I read the reviews. Oh. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, It's a steaming pile of shit. Unfortunately, not all is lost though, I think, because like I'm here to convince you that the cast recording is worth your time and energy Mm. and that is probably it. Well, I think. We've talked about what's the Alice Alice by Heart? Is that yes, what we've talked about? Yes, the other Duncan Sheik. Where you were like, God, the, the music's really beautiful. I'm like, it is. It's one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Yeah, well, by all accounts, this is like similar. Where similar. the book is just such a mess, such a piece but of trash. But the music's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, here we go. The plot. It's very loosely based on Othello. Okay. This show is set in the near future in this like dystopian post 9-11 world that is not very well realised at okay. all. Um, it's set in the city of Venice, not the city of Venice in Italy. It's presumably somewhere in the like US. In like, California? Like yes. Venice Beach? Um, yeah, but not like not like obviously oh, that. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. It's just Venice. It's just yeah. a place called Venice. Yeah. Um, the city has been at war like forever and this new dude whose name is also Venice. Oh. <laughs> um, oh God. The city is called Venice and this guy is called Venice. Yes. Okay. He is sworn in as the new leader. Uh, then this wedding is planned between Venice and his childhood friend Willow. Um, meanwhile, his brother Marcos is a commander in the military who plots to disrupt the wedding and cause havoc for Seemingly no reason, right. just no reason. Everyone is eventually undone by greed for power, jealousy, etc. just like in Othello. And, yep. like, in the end, pretty much everyone dies. But it seems like for not really any reason or with any good motivation, yeah. etc. That's That's it. Do you like Othello? 
I a love play. Othello. Yeah, same. This is too loosely based on Othello okay. to even have the mention right, of that. Right, okay. Yeah, I think the reference to Venice came from Othello to begin with. Yes. Like it's Othello said in Venice. So. Yeah. Okay, so some background. The show is written, it's a book musical written by Matt Sachs and Eric Rosen. Okay. Eric Rosen is a pretty well credentialed dude. He directed. I I think I know that name. Yeah, he directed A Christmas Story, the Pasek and Paul musical, um, and is known for his reimaginings of like classic musicals. So he's done quite a few, he's directed quite a few um, shows like that. Big, I can't even think of what I'm. Yeah, just sort of like hip-hop version of this or like grungy this or whatever. I like they sometimes use the term revisal, which I think is a great term. That's cool. I like that. Um, So Matt Sachs, the other creator, is a performer whose one-man hip-hop musical Clay was produced at the Lincoln Centre. Um, that's pretty much all you can find about him. Right. So they got together as part of Rosen's theatre company, About Face. So Eric Rosen um, founded About Face, which is this um, LGBTQIA arts organisation that focuses on celebrating gender expression and diversity. Oh, cool. And so it's quite a um, prolific organisation. So anyway, they get together to create Venice. Apparently the original intention was to write an adaptation of Othello. And like as the show developed, it just moved further and further away from that and became something just very murky. Mm. It was just like brief mentions of something to do with Othello and that's it. So the show originally opens in Kansas City in 2010 as a co-pro between Kansas City Rep and the Centre Theatre Group. Oh, yeah. They're, well, they're both quite big, right? Yeah, quite yeah. big. Um, this production was well-received by the people. Like it got really good reviews in local Kansas publications. It also caught the attention of some national publications. Like the Times called it the next American musical. Wow. Um, they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So then it sits like for a while doing nothing until a lab is announced at the public theatre in New York. Yeah. So we've talked, we just mentioned the public earlier. It's As a, a non profit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've also talked about labs and workshops a few times yes. before, but just a reminder a lab is like a type of developmental project, it's not a finished product. It's it's a stage in the development of a finished show. Some labs are like pretty well rehearsed and feature costumes and full corey and blocking, et cetera, but. It's just intended to be another step for the creative team to iron out problems. It was also what they kind of started calling workshops so they didn't have to put it on a workshop contract, right? Exactly. So this is where a lot of those problems came um, with the lab workshop sort of controversy and Hamilton was really involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this was called a lab. So this is in 2013. So definitely around that time. Yeah. It was like 2011 that it really started changing, I believe. That's right. Yeah. So this lab at the public ran for one month in 2013 and it featured a bitching cast. So it starred um, Uzo Aduba, Aduba yeah. Jennifer Damiano, Leslie Odom Jr., Claiborne Elder, and like a bunch of other oh, awesome yeah. people. Like just a- Uzo Aduba, also a member of Orange is Orange the New Black. Orange is the New Black, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so the show was originally going to run for two weeks and tickets were 15 bucks. Um, but it sold really, really well. And there had been like a lot of buzz yeah. because of the Kansas City production. So another two weeks was added to the run and ticket prices were jacked up to $45. Trying to get that 
money. So I found this hilarious discussion board on Broadway World when yeah. this happened and, and people were like, I just went online, it's fucking 40 bucks. And, <laughs> and like other people were like, oh, I just bought a ticket for $15 yesterday. And yeah, so. A classic Broadway World discussion. Oh, it got ugly very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned Venice in Broadway World, yes. Really? Get ugly quickly. <gasps> so <laughs> after the ticket prices were jacked up and the last two weeks of the run was announced, the reviews came rolling in and mm. oh my God. I'm going to read some of them to you because I don't think they should be paraphrased. <laughs> this is from the New York Times reviewer Ben Brantley. Yeah, like, like showed up and the did main it. one. Yeah. The, yeah, that's right. Here it is. Quote: There's enough plot in Eric Rosen and Matt Sachs's Venice, the action-flooded new musical at the Public Theatre, to fill a whole year in a Marvel comic series. Though it borrows some of its story from Shakespeare's Othello and much of its tone from apocalyptic movie blockbusters like The Dark Knight Rises, this tale of a once and future civil war still seems to translate into two-dimensional panels as you watch it. From the New York Post, Elizabeth um, Vincentelli said, quote, Terrible musicals are a dime a dozen, but what makes <laughs> Venice galling is its humorless grandstanding. Bad is bad, but self-important bad is worse. Oh. And this one from the Huffington Post Contrary to popular belief, it's no fun writing a negative review. It's a lot more fun to come out of a show bristling with excitement over talented performers and behind-the-scenes creative types whose work you're certain you'll be watching for years to come. Nothing like that happens at Venice. An incomprehensible Ugh. mess of a show with a hackneyed plot, characters that don't maintain a shred of consistency from one scene to the next, and relentlessly bad hip-hop lyrics. Oh, God. Just... Just bad so what changed in between the two productions? Or you think they were just much more kindly in? I'm I'm going to talk about what I think changed, okay. but I don't really know. Yeah, is the main gist. Of yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> I'll expand on this. So, to be honest, to begin with, it's surprising that Venice even got reviews. Mm. Like, it's not super common for labs to be reviewed. Yeah. Um, but like I was... get like a run at the public being reviewed. Yeah, but, but not like, yeah. originally a two week lab. Yeah. Although, yeah, that, that cast is awesome, but still you don't normally get, like you don't normally get Ben Brantley coming into a lab. No. Do you know what I mean? And sort of rightly so, they should be able to do their lab without. Yeah. But I think there was just so much buzz about this one and I actually think, well, my hypothesis is that the uh, producers were like, let's get them in, let's get these amazing reviews out so we can create buzz for yeah. the show and it backfired, man. Um, so apart from what the reviews mentioned as being the problems, the major complaints of that um, lab seem to be inherent in the development of the story. So it's just really clunky. Like the book is bad. The characters are two-dimensional. There's this really strange narrator device used and I firmly believe that narrators better be fucking justified mm. because they generally do not work. Um, but literally a narrator starts telling the story at the beginning of the show and typing it out on a computer and you can see the script on the back wall of the theatre and then at the end of the show the narrator just says that was just a play. Oh. But literally like nothing in the show throughout it sets you up for this like bullshit, it was all just a dream yeah. sort of thing. Like at least believe the story you are telling us. Yes, don't, yeah. Don't just like at the end go, oh, well, I made it up. Yeah, like, it's make-believe, yeah. Uh, just like why? I think – Many reviews I read mentioned that the lighting was excellent mm. and not to diminish the importance of good lighting or how difficult it is to design lighting, but it's not a great sign if the first thing mentioned in a review is the lighting Did design. it feel like one of those, you look like you're having such a good time up yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the costumes were great. It's it, Literally every single review was like, the lighting design was excellent, but what a piece of shit. So what gives the show life is the cast recording. 
It was released in 2014 and has become really popular as a result. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like there are any further developments with the actual production. So this could just be a case of the recording is great, the show is trash, let's leave it at that. <laughs> but seriously, the album is really good. Like there are a few moments where the lyrics are definitely cringy. Okay. Just just, just like a poor man's um, in the heights it yeah. seems like. Um, just really bad rhymes and unrealistic lines. But melodically it's great and the cast is rockin' and those voices are a pleasure to listen yeah. to. So when I dug into what changed between Kansas and the public, it wasn't super clear because the reviews from Canvas, Kansas were so positive. Mm. We're just like, wow, this is really going to change lives and this is so clever. I actually think a couple of the devices changed, like the narrator thing was sort of added and that right. got really weird. Um, there was no, there was definitely a sense in the original Kansas production that this was in development and this would be worked on. Mm. Um, that I think by the time a couple of years had lapsed, so there's three years between that production and the lab at the, at the public, I think there was an expectation that something would have been fixed and, and it just wasn't. Weren't. Yeah. Um, there was also this weird character added in that's this sort of like Nicki Minaj type character that seems to appear for no reason and just like, it's like, like she shows up and she's wearing crazy sort of futuristic gear where everyone else is, it's not futuristic. It's right. just like it's just a bad world and she's just sort of there and there's no reason why she's there and she just sings this number and then leaves. And that seems to have been like a huge sticking point for a lot of people where they're like, no. <laughs> this just, does not work. You don't do that. Like you don't yeah. just so. Yeah, I don't know. but It, it sounds to me like they just crazy overcomplicated things. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think so. But like. It's such a shame because, like, I've watched I've watched some clips of like on YouTube, and it just looks bad, man. Yeah. It looks really, it looks really amateur hour. Yeah, and it's such a shame because honestly, this song, the so the song that I first heard was called Willow. I've spoken about it before on the podcast, but it's so beautiful. Mm. It's so pretty. Yeah, and it's just a shame. It's a real shame. I wonder also sometimes, like, I don't know if this happens. I mean, you know, we did a whole mixtape of, like, the song that we like from musicals that we don't like, yeah. right? And I do think that it's quite common for someone to have written a banger of a song. Yeah. But then, like, it doesn't mean the rest of the show is any good. No, do you know what I mean? Although no. your feeling is that the cast recording is pretty good. Yeah, like, there are definitely songs I skip on the cast recording, but not many. Like, I enjoy it. It's yeah. upbeat. It's cool. Like, there's got some it's beautiful, thoughtful moments then then I like I've been reflecting all week. I just really love Leslie Odom Jr.'s voice. Yeah. And he's in it a lot. Yeah. So like it could be that, but also, well, no. And also like he hasn't done that many musicals. No, so it's cool that he's a whole Yeah, because he went and like lived in LA for a long time, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. It, I feel like it's a shame, but I also feel like, mm, no. Like let's just leave it where it is and it doesn't need to be worked on. So did is it one of these ones where like you thought you liked it more than you did once you started actually researching it? Um, no, I think pretty quickly because once I listened to the cast recording, I was like, oh, I need to know the plot. And straight away I was like, oh, no, yeah, this is terrible. But I really firmly love yeah. the cast recording. So that's why so I'm talking like about it now. Josephine's my favourite musical cast recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, w- there won't be a production of this to see. Like no. you won't see one. So don't anyway if one yes, pops just up. just have a listen. Just have a listen, particularly to these Gateway songs. So you should listen to The Last Man. It's Leslie Odom Jr.'s sort of like I want song. Yeah. And as always, his voice just like, it's like it cuddles Butter, you in a delicious cream, warm hug. And you want whiskey. to lay your head on his shoulder. Oh, 
He's so beautiful. So then listen to Willow. I've mentioned it. I will keep mentioning it. And that's Jennifer Damiano, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It, I want them to take this song and create a whole new musical around this song yeah. because it deserves it. I've actually seen her in a few things over the years. Yeah. Um, well, she was in Spider-Man, obviously. Yes. And she was in American – you remember I loved the American Psycho musical? Yes, I remember. Yeah, she yeah. was sort of the yeah, she love interest that, yeah. Yeah, in that. I mean, obviously she um, sort of came to fame in Spring Awakening and then Next to Normal. And Next to Normal, yeah. But she, she was, was super like young. 15 when she was in Spring Awakening. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. But, um, yeah, she's had a couple of bad – couple of bad shows under yeah. her belt. But, but she's so good. She's beautiful. Um, so, yeah, that's Venice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll listen to those songs, definitely. They're really good. Yeah. They're really pretty. Yeah. And, like, to be honest, yeah, it's funny. I, I'd never heard of this. Yeah, I don't think you're missing anything. Yeah. And yeah. I think that it's almost like off-Broadway shows like that, like that get a cast recording. Yeah. Again, when we were teenagers, we would have heard about them. We would have. But yeah. now, like, if you can do a cast recording, great. Yeah, good on People you. just find it maybe mm. on Spotify or whatever. But well, they don't get the publicity. No, they really don't. I, like, I'm just grateful that Spotify chucked Willow onto yeah. the back of one Songs of my playlists. Songs like whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever I was listening to. Yeah. Because I actually think what was weird is that when it started playing, I hadn't been listening to a, a musical playlist. I'd oh. been listening to, like, like – acoustic whatever or something folky and then this song came on and it was only halfway through the song I was like this sounds too narrative driven this must be from a musical yeah and that's when I realized it was but it wasn't like I was interested to a musical playlist fascinating indeed oh the algorithm yes oh the (laughs) networks uh well that's that's us well thanks for listening everyone Yes, thank um, you. Thank we'll, you, Ruth. We'll be back. Thank you, Josephine. We'll be back <laughs> next week with a mixtape. Yeah. Um, as usual, you can find us on all the socials and you can email us at myfavoritemusical at gmail.com. Um, and uh, we, we had it for the last episode, but we have a new logo, oh, which yeah. is exciting. Isn't it sexy? Can big, you tell us what you think about the logo? Yeah, big props to our friend Stuart who designed it for us. I feel like a grown-up podcaster now, not yeah. like a little kid podcaster. I know. It's so sexy. We love it. It is sexy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you, Stuart, and thank you, everyone, for clicking on that new logo. Yeah, and like and subscribe. Yeah. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.